DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of several books, including Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, Heaven and Faith, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you very much, Chris. It's good to be with you once again. We are continuing our reflection on the fifth day, and we're on the second prayer, which composes this beautiful retreat that Elizabeth of the Trinity is taking us on. This is one of the most beautiful. It's extremely Eucharistic. The gift of Jesus, his real presence to us in the Eucharist, is at the heart of this reflection. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. The first sign of love is this, that Jesus has given us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. The purpose of love is to be always giving and always receiving. Now the love of Christ is generous. All that he has, all that he is, he gives. All that we have, all that we are, he takes away. He asks for more than we of ourselves are capable of giving. He has an immense hunger which wants to devour us absolutely. He enters even into the marrow of our bones. And the more lovingly we allow him to do so, the more fully we savor him. He knows that we are poor, but he pays no heed to it and does not spare us. He himself becomes in us his own bread, first burning up in his love all our vices, faults, and sins. Then, when he sees that we are pure, He comes like a gaping vulture that is going to devour everything. He wants to consume our life in order to change it into his own. Ours full of vices, his full of grace and glory, and all prepared for us if only we will renounce ourselves. Even if our eyes were good enough to see this avid appetite of Christ who hungers for our salvation, All our efforts would not prevent us from disappearing into his open mouth. Now, this sounds absurd. But those who love will understand. When we receive Christ with interior devotion, his blood, full of warmth and glory, flows into our veins and a fire is enkindled in our depths. 
we receive the likeness of his virtues and he lives in us and we in him he gives us his soul with the fullness of grace by which the soul perseveres in love and praise of the father love draws its object into itself we draw Jesus into ourselves Jesus draws us into himself then carried above ourselves into love's interior seeking God we go to meet him to meet his spirit which is his love and this love burns us consumes us and draws us into unity where beatitude awaits us Jesus meant this when he said with great desire I have desired to eat this pasch with you This is so powerful and there is so much here to just rest in but what I would like to focus on is what it means when we receive holy communion Mm. Uh, a lot of people th- look at holy communion uh, as a a very kind of emotional moment where we experience the presence of the lord and it really it truly is that we experience we encounter the presence of the lord in the most beautiful way at holy communion this is one of the reasons why we should prepare ourselves to receive holy communion we we shouldn't just go up casually and we should work at not being distracted during mass we should enter into the prayers of the the holy sacrifice of the mass uh, all the intercessions and and the great events of salvation history that are recounted during the mass during the celebration of the lord's supper these things need to become part of the movement of our hearts and when they do it opens us up to this very special experience of the lord's presence you'll probably notice in your own life that when you are less attentive at mass when instead of attending to the prayers that are actually being said we're you know going over laundry lists and and grocery lists and worried about this thing and that when we let ourselves be distracted by all that silliness we rob ourselves of the lord's presence on the other hand to the degree we prepare ourselves for communion by making sure our hearts are pure by going to confession by being mindful of our sinfulness and grateful for god's mercy when we prepare ourselves by listening attentively to god's word as it's proclaimed and receiving that and thinking about our lives in the face of that when we do these things then at the moment of communion it's a very special moment of power in our lives god's power unleashed in our lives this is kind of presumed by elizabeth when she's writing her sister remember this is for her sister mother of two young children married within the last few years uh, and so still learning what married love is all about she's presuming her sister is coming to communion with the right dispositions when we do we open ourselves up to a deeper encounter with the lord and it's that deeper encounter that elizabeth is describing here he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and i in him 
The first sign of love is this, that Jesus has given us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. The purpose of love is to be always giving and always receiving. Now the love of Christ is generous. All that he has, all that he is, he gives. All that we have, all that we are, he takes away. He asks for more than we of ourselves are capable of giving. He has an immense hunger which wants to devour us absolutely. He enters even into the marrow of our bones, and the more lovingly we allow him to do so, the more fully we savor him. In the deeper encounter with Jesus, it's true that he feeds us, but at the same time, we in a certain sense are feeding him. And I don't mm -hmm. really know how to explain this or describe it, except if you turn your, your attention to the story in the Gospel of John about the woman at the will. Do you mm. remember that story? Oh, I do. And so... Jesus comes in to that woman, the Samaritan woman, and he asks her, well, he actually tells her something. Remember, he tells her, I thirst. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That movement in the heart of God is what Elizabeth is talking about. Uh, Jesus, when he said that to the Samaritan woman, that wasn't just physical thirst that he was expressing to her. Jesus thirsts for our love. He aches for our love. He yearns for our love. And it's this deep yearning of Jesus for our love. He's made himself vulnerable to our love. It's this deep yearning of Jesus for our love that we encounter when we receive Holy Communion. His yearning for us stirs our hearts to yearn for him. Mm. And, um, and so this whole thing about the appetite of Jesus that, uh, devouring us and consuming us, those who open themselves up completely to Jesus find themselves flooded, imbued with the desires of his heart living in them. And the desires of his heart are that he wants everything about our life. He wants us to hold nothing back. He wants us to trust him with everything in every way at every moment because he yearns for us that much. He wants to have a communion of friendship, love for us, and he consumes everything. At the same time he's doing it, Elizabeth is saying, he's giving everything to us. He's flooding us with all kinds of gifts. So somebody could say, how can I live in a relationship with Jesus where he demands so much from me? Mm -hmm. And the answer is you can live in that kind of relationship. You can give so much to Jesus because he gives even more to you. He knows that we are poor, but he pays no heed to it and does not spare us. He himself becomes in us his own bread, first burning up 
in his love all our vices, faults, and sins. Then, when he sees that we are pure, he comes like a gaping vulture that is going to devour everything. He wants to consume our life in order to change it into his own. Ours full of vices, his full of grace and glory, and all prepared for us if only we will renounce ourselves. Even if our eyes were good enough to see this avid appetite of Christ who hungers for our salvation, all our efforts would not prevent us from disappearing into his open mouth. You can live with the hunger, the yearning love of Jesus in your life because he gives even more to you. And he will never, ever, ever be outdone in generosity. He always lavishes us with more than we have ever given. And it's love following up on love, following up on love. But as he's lavishing it on us, these gifts, we really do come to share this deep, deep movement of his heart, this deep movement of love. You know, this movement of love was revealed on the cross. And we'll see later on in the retreat. It's his great song of praise to the Father. Song, music, praise. This is an expression. Music is an expression of the union, the yearning of a heart. And Elizabeth, she sees Jesus as one who sings the praises of the Father. He's filled with yearning for the Father, and he's filled with yearning for us. And so his singing the praises of the Father is at the same time a salvific song, a song that, that saves us, that captures us up into that yearning love so that we live in the bosom of the Father. We live in love. We yearn for love. Jesus wants our hearts to ache for love the way he does. That's what all this language about being consumed. So isn't it a remarkable paradox? When we receive Holy Communion, when we consume the host, the deeper spiritual reality that's going on at that moment is Jesus is, is consuming us. He's making us burn. He's consuming us with his heart's desire, with the yearning, the desires of his heart. They become the desires of of our heart. We live a life of pure love. Somebody once asked, you know, Mother Teresa, she didn't receive any consolation in prayer for 40 years. How did she ever make it? You know, how, how could she go on if, if prayer was such a hard thing for her? How did she ever make it through? We've talked earlier about the fact that prayer isn't about experiences that we have. Prayer is about what the the word of God given to me does in my heart. It, it expands my heart. And even though she didn't feel consoled, Jesus was constantly coming to her, expanding her heart, consuming her heart with the desires of his heart. So her heart burned with his desires. She yearned for Jesus with the same intensity that Jesus yearned for her. And this is what sustained her in her apostolate, in her mission to the poorest of the poor. 
in her mission to people who were abandoned by love, some of whom were quite bitter and angry and hard people to be around, she found not only courage but the strength to be there for them because she burned with the love of Jesus in her heart. She was consumed by Jesus, so impassioned by him that she sought for him everywhere, even in the distressing disguise of the poor. So although she says that she didn't receive any consolation in prayer, as a spiritual theologian, when I look at her life of prayer, she was in deep mystical prayer uh, throughout uh, her life. It was a mystical prayer that she wasn't even aware of, a mystical prayer that enlarged her heart, that consumed her with love so that she searched for love everywhere and everything she searched for love with the same passion that Jesus searches for love. But those who love will understand. When we receive Christ with interior devotion, his blood, full of warmth and glory, flows into our veins and a fire is enkindled in our depths. We receive the likeness of his virtues and he lives in us and we in him. He gives us his soul with the fullness of grace by which the soul perseveres in love and praise of the Father. Love draws its object into itself. We draw Jesus into ourselves. Jesus draws us into himself. Then, carried above ourselves into love's interior, Seeking God, we go to meet Him, to meet His Spirit, which is His love. And this love burns us, consumes us, and draws us into unity where beatitude awaits us. Jesus meant this when He said, With great desire, I have desired to eat this Pasch with you. It is all about transformation, isn't it? I mean, can we really call ourselves a Eucharistic people if we don't believe in the power of that transformation? You're absolutely right. And so this is where a great act of faith needs to be recovered in, in our lives. Uh, the teaching of Vatican II and Gaudium et Spes is that the human person only discovers the truth about who they are through the gift of themselves. Well, we can't really give the gift of ourselves. We can't give ourselves to anyone or to anything or, e or even to God until we receive the gift of God. God gives himself to us. When, God, when we receive God, his gift to us, when we let ourselves be loved by him, and that's what happens in Holy Communion, all of a sudden his self-giving love infuses our lives, transforms the way we relate to each other. And all of a sudden, situations that we thought were uh, impossible, too taxing, too demanding, we couldn't possibly suffer through them. Maybe a very, very difficult marriage or a very, very difficult relationship with a parent or with a child, a son or a daughter. All of a sudden, if we enter into receive the love of God, accept how much he loves us and let his yearning, burning love burn and yearn in us, all of a sudden we find strength and ability to give the gift of ourselves 
to this person that God has entrusted us to love in a, a way we could have never anticipated, in a way we never thought we could. And it's because God's love is in us, helping us to love, making us able to love. It's so powerful, isn't it? And, and yet this is the reflection on the second prayer on the fifth day. I mean, this day on the retreat and reflecting on the Eucharist, what is Elizabeth trying to do here, do you think, Anthony, given this, the position of this particular reflection? Well, I think, first off, these prayers that she's developing, remember, these are musical things. Her ideas are musical. They, these are themes that are repetitive. And the theme that's repeated over and over and over again is the passions that burn and the heart of Christ. And right in the center of this retreat, it's like the hinge of the retreat, she's saying that these passions, that we be in the bosom of the Father, that we remain with Him, that, um, that we open up the door of our hearts to Him, that, that we hurry up and come down, humble ourselves and go to meet Him, these sayings of Jesus, these prayers of Jesus, this yearning of Jesus, this is what we experience in the Eucharist. If you want to grow in this, receive the Eucharist in faith. And so we believe the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. And in this retreat, it's kind of like the heart of the retreat. We've entered into, in a certain way, the climax of the mystery the way to access the mystery of Christ before us, the way to allow these, these movements of the heart of Christ to form our hearts, to form the way we live, is through being a people of communion, a, a people who receive, who open ourselves up to the grace of the Eucharist. In many ways, the rest of the retreat kind of flows from this. We'll go deeper and deeper and deeper into this Eucharistic mystery of Christ. The reason this becomes important is, do you see how this transforms transforms the way we think about Holy Communion and what we're doing? If, if you're blessed to be able to go to daily Mass and receive Communion, the words of Elizabeth then aren't simply some, okay, I've been through the, the retreat, done this, and, uh, you know, been there, done this, and now on to the next mystic and what they have to say. The words of Elizabeth are inviting us into an ongoing encounter with Christ that we can have in every single Holy Communion we make for the rest of our lives. That first prayer where he's knocking, he's waiting, we have to open the door. And then this one where it's once we receive him in, he comes in and transforms us in such a significant way, um, in, in a deep penetrating way. It's interesting on this day, too, if you think about the Mass. You know, the Mass has two parts to it. We have the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. In the Liturgy of the Word, we listen to the Word of God. We listen to the Old Testament reading. We listen to a New Testament reading. We listen to the Psalm. We listen to the Gospel. And as we hear the Word of God, and then we, we, uh, the Word is preached to us, as we hear the Word of God coming to us in all these different ways, it's like Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts. So we open up the door of our hearts, and you're right. When we, the second part of the Mass, the, the Eucharistic liturgy, where our gifts, the bread and wine, are transformed into Jesus himself, this is allowing the Word of God 
that has knocked at the door of our hearts that we have welcomed and we have said yes to. It's allowing us to explode with fruitfulness in our lives. This idea was so important to Elizabeth of the Trinity that when she would write priests, she was permitted to write letters, especially when she was sick. One of her brother-in-law was a priest, and she also had some family friends who were priests. And one of the things that she asks them to do is when they are saying Mass, to support her in her mission to become the perfect praise of God's glory. But when they got to the words of institution, this is my body, this is my blood. When they got to those words, she asked to include her in the chalice so that with the blood, with the wine being transformed into the blood of Christ, she too might be transformed in that moment. And isn't that the prayer of the church, that we enter into mm -hmm. that transformation so that the, the mystery of Christ is renewed in us in a brand new way? What happens to the bread and wine by the words of the priest and the power of the Holy Spirit? This is a sign of what God wants to do with our whole lives. He wants to transform us into fiery icons of Christ Jesus which reveal his glory to the whole world so that uh, when people look on us, when they see us, they see the fiery love of Jesus. Oh, beautiful. I can't wait for day six. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. God bless you, Chris. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.